I'm trying to imagine Matthew McConaughey in Lord of the Rings, and it just doesn't work. As Legolas. As Mark Hanna. As Mark Hanna as Legolas. <laughs> A red sun rises on this day. Blood's been spilled. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> hey, they're taking the Hobbit's Isengard. That was good. <laughs> you got any of that halfling leaf? Be a whole lot cooler if you did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Welcome back to Space Castle. It is your clubhouse and hours for all things nerdy. My name is DT. And I'm Alex. And I'm Seth. Last week, we talked about ways to spice up your D&D sessions from the perspective of the player. Came up with some really good ideas. We shared additional ideas on Bullhorn the next day. This week, we're following up with part two, and we're going to talk about ways and give you ideas on how to spice up your D&D sessions as the DM. The DM, of course controls everything their motherfucking god when it comes to dungeons and dragons so you as a dm have a lot of opportunities to make sure that everybody at the table is fully immersed in having a great time let's fucking go let's do it uh fully ready for this i'm so excited because from the dm perspective it's kind of from the writer perspective which is where my brain lives like 94 percent of the time i always think about dming as like uh you've got to be good at world building and then you also have to be good at improv and kind of like being adaptable you know you've got to be able to to take whatever your players are giving you and turn it into something interesting which is my first tip for like spicing up as a dm i don't have too much experience doing it i've only really dm'd over the internet with you guys and so you've experienced me as a dm and i was a terrible dm but i do Mm. like well mediocre mediocre but not terrible thank you thank you thank you hey are you (laughs) trying to plug my twitter yeah seth has claim on that title but uh my Twitter handle is mediocre DM, by the way. Terrible moniker because you're an awesome DM. My thought is that you you mix you mix the familiar with the unfamiliar, right? Like world building is about giving people something that they're interested and familiar with, and then also throwing in some sort of like wrench into that. And that's where you get good magic systems. That's where you get a really rich and uh, worlds that feel lived in. I think is is the most important thing about that, right? It's also how you get a really terrible Star Wars movie, though. Hey, oh, <laughs> got him. Ba, 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 ba. You can say that <laughs> about many movies that have been greenlit and then just ended up being shitty. But uh, writers talk about this a lot, right? It, because world building is quintessential for anybody in the science fiction and fantasy worlds, which is where a lot of D and D lives. Um, I haven't really, I haven't experienced, and I haven't read about or heard about much D and D that lives outside of those realms. Because what we want is the fantastical. But you 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 anchor that with the familiar. You anchor that with the you know the uh, communication that we have normally, the socioeconomic disparity, and that makes it more rich and makes it more textured. It makes it more lived in. They talk about this in a uh, uh, recent writing excuses podcast. There there have been a series recently with Fonda Lee, the author of Jade City, and Jade Warren, the recently released Jade Legacy, phenomenal and some of the best world building that I've I've read. Um, and I, I and I think a lot of the author community would would agree with me. But they talk about world building and applying texture, and I think it's like a, such a really 
good resource for people. If you if you want to know how to DM better, I fully recommend the, that that series of podcasts. Okay, and that's going to do it for this episode of Space Castle. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> how would you apply texture like that mid game? If you are if you're DMing something that's a little bit boring, or you want to change it up or spice it up, how would you apply that? Uh, my first two things would be to uh, remember your your player character actions. So like, what are, what is your party doing? Take notes. Bring some of that stuff back later. Like if they're doing something wacky, they're doing something unique and strange. They make a like a really offhand decision. I know Seth, you've talked about this before, right? If like if your player character is doing something that you you're annoyed by or doesn't really mesh with what you're doing, you write it down and later you bring it back to bite them in the ass, which is so fun as a DM and a player because you're like, ah, oh, I'm experiencing the ramifications of that like two sessions later. Or here's this wacky NPC, which would be my second thing, right? Is to make your NPCs a little bit more believable. I feel like a lot of campaigns, your NPCs can be very wooden and sort of one dimensional. Like we uh, we brought up the last time we talked about D&D, Storm King's Thunder. Harshnag is a really interesting character that follows you throughout the entirety of Storm King's Thunder and is a cool part of that campaign, uh, but it's an NPC. Yeah. And at some point, like Dudley had, had, had thrown Harshnag and given him to one of the guys that just died during our campaign. He's like, you're going to play Harshnag right now. How do you feel about that? Everyone was hyped. Like not even just that one person. Everyone at the table was like, yes, let's go. What about you guys? Tell me, give me your thoughts. Yeah. Adaptability is a big one. Like you said, like it's, we keep going back to the fact that it's collaborative storytelling and the impetus and the one who's most responsible for that is the DM. So be adaptable, like throw some wrenches in the, in the, in the gears of your, your campaign and keep your players on their toes and keep them engaged. If it's just formulaic and everybody's just rolling dice and just trying to progress, everybody's going to get bored. If you mix it up and you engage them, you make them think, challenge them, encourage them to think as their characters and to even role play as their characters in situations because that's when it gets really interesting. That improv skill is absolutely top tier for DMs. Like it's necessary, you know, as such, you know, maybe these tips are a little bit facetious because if you're, if you can improv, then you can just improv it, uh, just change that shit up. But you know, there's so many different things you can do. And that's kind of part of the problem is you get decision paralysis and mm. like, how do I handle this thing? So you end up just handling it by the book. To play off DT and Alex here real fast, what I recommend is the same thing I recommended as a character last week, and that is throw out your first instinct. Ah. When something happens and the, your first reaction is, okay, so that's probably how this would go. If you're, if you're having kind of a boring time of it, or you want to change shit up, toss that one out. Like, okay, so he, he decides to go into the, the goblin camp. And so he's probably going to, you know, maybe try to alarm, like we're going to roll stealth and see if he alarms the goblins. First instinct, not bad. That's, yeah, that seems pretty solid. But if you want to change it up, do something else. Maybe instead, he, instead of rolling stealth or turning the corner, a goblin comes out at him as he's making his way into the camp. Then what? What happens then? Maybe um, he gets into the goblin camp and it's fucking empty because they're out raiding and he is now in the goblin camp as he hears them approaching and now they're coming in on him. What happens then? You just take that first idea of like, okay, first reaction, he's going to roll stealth to see if he alerts the goblins in this camp. Nix it. Toss that shit out and figure something else out. 
Yeah, because it's cool to have a story where, like, all right, he fails his stealth roll, he trips into a, a torch, and it catches one tent on fire, and now everybody's alerted. And now you're in action mode roll for initiative. Yeah. But it's it's an entirely different story to have a goblin come back from taking a leak in the woods, and here, here you have an opportunity for them to either, I don't know, are they going to coerce the goblin? Are they going to try to talk to them? Are they going to straight up attack them? Are they going to try to stealthily kill the goblin? Like there are lots of things that can happen there, right? So you've opened it up and instead of like a story that's on rails, you don't, you don't have a river anymore. You have many tributaries and they can go into, you know, any kind of direction that they want. Yeah. As you, as, as a DM, you have the opportunity and I would say the obligation to manipulate your player's expectations. <laughs> well, that's part of the fun, right? Just fuck around with it. You're the puppet master. <laughs> If your players are expecting to fight a goblin camp, fuck with that. Yeah, inside the goblin camp is a- another party. <laughs> yeah, another adventuring group that just did that. See, that's dope. Yeah, and maybe you got to fight them over the treasure or some shit. Yeah, I I love love pitting adventuring groups against each other. It's like one of my favorite things. Maybe maybe they show up in that camp uh, and they just find a note. And a bunch of dead bodies says, hey, I've been watching you for a while. Come meet me at this place. Fuck, what is this? (laughs) I've had that happen in a campaign before where we were looking for like a relic or something. It might have been Storm King's Thunder where there was a note left in place of the thing we're looking for. And we had to like progress into like a whole different like branch of the story. And like it was neat. It was really cool. It threw us all for a loop. And then I I think we ended the session right there. (laughs) It was like, fuck, we're going to wait two weeks to find out who the fuck this person is. It was awesome. It hurts, but it's so good. <laughs> it's great. You can even like, this is another a free tip. Uh, you can just straight up kidnap the players. Like you can, as they're making their preparations to enter the goblin camp, surprise, everybody goes black and they wake up in another, in a dungeon somewhere because some high level mage casts sleep on them while they weren't looking and they just fucking passed out. Oh man. Like you can just change it on a dime. It could be it could be anything. I think you've done that to us before. I, I recall a campaign where we just like no, that's how it started. Is we woke that's how up. it started. We all woke up in prison like fucking Elder Scrolls. It was dope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, in a more tangible way of spicing up your campaigns as a DM, uh, I talked last week about introducing music and other like sensory type of stimuli oh yeah so obviously you can do like sound effects you can do music which is suitable to your campaign or the environment you can dim the lights you can light some fucking candles you can do some fucking like incense or or candles like if you're in a fucking forest light some pine candles or some shit like get your players into that world because once they're in that world they're going to embody the mindset of their players that much more easily and like be engrossed in the story and the world they're, they're inhabiting and order, order pizza because people get fucking hungry. So plan <laughs> your, your pizza strategy beforehand so that when people start getting restless and hungry, like it's, it's going to be there and be ready to go. Dude, hell yeah. Here's a little uh, DM tip for you and also a free plug. There's a company called Cantrip Candles. They make D&D themed candles. Oh, sweet. It's perfect for this. If you want to really sell that you're in a tavern, one of these candles that smells like beer and wood and like vomit 11 out of 10 it's great they don't have any of the smell like vomit unfortunately although that would be very immersive one thing i really like about cantrip is the lids of their candles have like overhead maps of the thing that the candle is no shit 
you can actually like just have a candle and play in that map and it smells like this can like you can Whoa. really make it cohesive it's really that great that's right. goddamn brilliant yeah holy yeah. shit you gotta Super start cool. kind of using all of these tools at, at your disposal if you're a dm just yeah. start pulling shit from everywhere seth said you know what i love about cantrip and immediately i thought press the digitation <laughs> <laughs> everybody loves press the digitation which I overused uh, in, our, in our campaign. Mm, no, you used it. I wouldn't say overused it. It was like the most cast spell, <laughs> even by the time we were like level four or something. I had never stopped using prestidigitation. Yeah, dude, it's great. I think that that's, that's another DM tip, right? Is like to know when to allow your players some liberty to do some wacky shit. Because there are some things in the parameters of that spell that really shouldn't be applicable. But like... If you can cast little illusory things and distract a guard or something, it helps your party get by. So knowing what your players are capable of, I think, is is something important as a DM. And you can spice it up by giving them a little bit of leeway, right? Because, because that's what makes a cool story, right? In terms of, like, a, say, a story with magic in it is that you give the reader, you give the listener, whoever it is, uh, the players, conventions. And then you allow them to bend or break them, which makes a compelling narrative. It makes it much more interesting for uh, the the big uh, sort of climactic events is that like, oh, you know, now you have this capability. Now you can take this artifact that wasn't working and was useless, but was sort of important to the story and you can use it. Now this dead thing that you have has come alive. Playing with player expectations is incredibly important. Surprising them like, you know, your dwarf goes to kick down a door and then he just vanishes right through it this time suddenly <laughs> surprise now the party's without a door for a little while and he's in some blackened room that he knows nothing about just like surprising your players is a really really good way to just spice things up for a session or two just change the whole game up uh another really great thing to do and this is going to be no surprise to anybody who's ever listened to me talk about dnd if you want to spice up your shit homebrew some shit yeah make some hey. shit up that's like totally different make up new spells make up new NPCs, completely homebrew adventures. Instead of this tavern uh, in a town, uh, now this is a huge dungeon that leads to the Underdark. Why not? Homebrewing some shit is one of the very best ways to change up your game as a DM. Not only is it super fun, but it's the kind of shit that like ends up making incredibly memorable campaigns because like a group of people can go play Storm Pekin's Thunder six or seven times in five years or whatever and they're like it's mostly the same each time like it's not the same right because they do shit differently and they're different people but it it's a lot of the same things are going to happen it's going to feel like the same narrative arc but if you toss in some homebrew shit that's a completely different thing and your players will instantly remember that time that the bugbear decided to become their best friend and serve them tea <laughs> Yeah, or uh, the Battle of Golden Fields when my half-orc barbarian got his legs smashed off with a boulder and then had them replaced with steam-powered legs. Yeah. it was uh, So Dudley, our, our and we've talked about this on the show before, Dudley, our, our good friend in, in DM for a long time, he devised this way for me to have uh, steam-powered legs surgically like grafted onto my character, and I had to go through a series of rolls during surgery to see if I survived every step. So there was the thrill of getting these new awesome robotic legs, but also just fucking dying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was a, a little kobold engineer that was helping us that we were all skeptical of or some. I think it was a kobold. I, 
anyway, it, it was wild. And I, I like that. What you're saying, Seth, is not just breaking convention. It's applying completely new conventions. Yeah. It's saying, all right, you actually don't know how this works. Uh, we kind of collectively don't know how this works, but we're going to see how it plays, which is which is inherently like life-giving. It is a catalyst to any narrative because you're applying conflict where there wasn't conflict before. That's what propels the story forward. Nobody wants to watch a, a movie where the the hero starts off in a farm. He walks into the forest, picks up the the sword that he needs to kill the the big bad, and then go goes and meets the wizard. And the wizard says, "Go that way. Here's some extra power." And then he just like slashes the big bad and game over. Right? Like there has to be conflict. There has to be something that's saying like, "Oh, he tries to get the sword, but now his left hand is broken irreparably, and now he meets the wizard, but the wizard's kind of a dick." And <laughs> the wizard will not give him extra power and actually smites him a little bit. Yeah. And now he's yeah, got a limp there's... and a busted hand. And, <laughs> you know, so that it, it's more interesting to have uh, conflict and you're throwing that inherently into a campaign and spicing it up as a DM. If you're throwing in homebrew things that don't necessarily fit perfectly into what was created before. Yeah. And don't be afraid to try homebrew shit that doesn't work out. Just again, be adaptable. Like if something isn't working, Figure out a way to make it work. Go after the after that session and, and, you know, open up a spreadsheet and tweak some things and come back to your player and be like, hey, like we tried this. It's fun. It's going to break the fucking game. Let's compromise and see if it'll work. So that's what Dudley did with the steam power legs. He devised a way for the legs to be both an advantage and a disadvantage. So my character had to constantly find a source of water to refill the reservoir in the legs or I would be stuck in place. That's awesome. Like other characters would have to like try and drag me out of some place because I just would not be able to fucking walk. Wouldn't be able to jump, wouldn't be able to run, wouldn't be able to do any of those things. But on the plus side, I can also rev those those legs like a lawnmower and use them to jump a little bit higher or run a little bit faster. So it was an advantage to the party, but I had to be wary of the fact that it was a finite resource that could run out in an inopportune time unless I was really careful. It was great. I love that shit. Yeah. Also, you have, I mean, taking taking into consideration, like making some weapons overpowered or just objects that you find, you know, like early on, one of the things that I ran into a problem with was improvised weapons because I put you guys all in jail cell, you broke out and there wasn't anything for you to use. And so you have like a chair leg and then you get a, a cudgel from a guard. And you're hoping for that cudgel to be a little bit more effective. But ultimately, if you start <laughs> tacking on extra damage onto those things, you've got a lick, you've got a warden cudgel that's that's pretty much a broadsword. <laughs> I don't need this sword. I've got this cudgel. Yeah, like I don't yeah, you pick up the cool item at the end of the thing and you're like, I think I'm gonna stick with the cudgel or whatever it is, because it can be broken. So I think it's fun to spice it up and 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 make it like, all right, now instead of uh it just having more damage, it has some quirky effect, right? Like every time, every time you smack a bad guy, it giggles. Like uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell if you're hurting or not. Yeah, <laughs> right. You can also break things. Like to to further that point, if they're swinging with a cudgel for fucking six levels, maybe the next time they roll like a one or a two, that thing fucking breaks and they can't use it anymore. It breaks. Yeah, that is. It's kind of you know. Maybe a little turned it to 11 way of fixing things that you broke, but it works as long as you do it well. I'm a huge fan of strategically discussing real ass information with the players. What kind of ass information? You know, girth, bounciness, 
Yeah, yeah, tight ass information. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so like you know, if if I'm working on some homebrew item, sometimes I will literally say like, "Hey, this is the thing I'm working on. Like, I'm gonna give it to you. What do you think it should do? What do you think it should be like? How, like, work with the player to craft something new and interesting together, not just the narrative, right? So it, you don't have to be afraid of like sharing behind the screen information sometimes with your players. Cause not only is that fun for them, but also it will create something super memorable in that campaign. If, if like, Oh yeah. Remember those fucking steam power legs that I help you create fucking dope. Yeah. I, I like also the kind of one-on-one interactions that take place apart from other player characters. So I, Matt Colville has talked about this a lot and, um, you know, he's, he's talked about in his campaigns where sometimes something happens and it'll pull one character aside, like take them out the room and be like, this is what's happening with your character. They do like a little mini session that takes like two minutes, not even like, this is what's going to happen. I don't want you to tell the party because this is something that only your character would know. Or they write a note down quickly. They scribble it down. They, they send it to that particular uh, character and they say, the party doesn't know this, but you have just picked up uh, this artifact. You can use it if you want. Um, you can give it to somebody else and explain it later, but right now you have it. This is what it does. And it just adds this sort of question mark in the background mm-hmm. and uh, gives them a mystery box to open up later, which is super fun. And it adds a lot of character to your campaign, adds a lot of um, you know intrigue also, because what if it's something that they don't even know what it does? You've, you've, you've found on your own. It's the like Matt Cawthon version it, to to talk about Wheel of Time, right? He picks up a dagger that nobody knows about and it kind of throws a wrench in all of the the party um, to circle back to Wheel of Time, which I don't think anybody <laughs> here has read. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 cool to I think have one on one interaction. Yeah, and like you can you can impart something onto your players that nobody else knows about as well. Like I was playing in a campaign uh and one of the players got like a black tattoo like wristband, like just a little stripe around his wrist, it appeared on him. He had no idea what it was. And it turns out after like sessions and sessions of playing that it was, um, he was being magically hunted. So this was like the mark of some, like someone was seeking him magically. Oh, cool. I like that. And that was the mark that appeared on him because he was being hunted. Uh, And now he's got suddenly after sessions of trying to figure out what the fuck this thing is that nobody else in the party knows about because it like just appeared on him like under his gauntlet or whatever right so nobody sees it but he knows it's there and he figures out that he's being hunted so now he has this the player has a dilemma i have to deal with being hunted do i tell the party that like one day we may wake up and have to fight some assassin like is it something i go off and try to deal with myself is it something i just ignore and hope they never find me like it's a it's a really cool like question mark for a while and then a dilemma that the player has to deal with alone. Spite just toss the things like that in there. Right, it's a, it's again putting the impetus on the on the player to kind of make the decision because they can say nothing and then they could, you know, the entire party gets attacked by these this group of people that is hunting this one character down and then they can make the connection later on or they could do what sometimes happens with player characters the DM says this thing appears on your wrist and then they turn around to the whole party and go, what's this thing on my wrist? <laughs> and ultimately they, you don't have to give them any information. The whole party can be like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it means something it signifies. And then later on they can see that mark on a door 
and they know that it's representative of this guild that is chasing this this person down. Yeah, totally. You know, it could be any any number of things like that. I fucking love that. Like, yeah, get creative with your storytelling. Throw your players for a loop. Introduce weird and mysterious plot points like that just to keep them on their toes and keep them guessing. And if you can even subtly get your players to turn on each other and kind of suspect each other, that's pretty dope too. Oh, yeah, dude, that's great. Also, every book that you read, just fucking pull, pull some shit from there and toss it in your campaign. Yes. Suddenly they're on a, 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 a murder mystery train heist next time they're trying to travel between towns. Just start pulling stuff out of stories that you like. Uh, another thing that's really fun is to craft like a narrative arc that is like literally a story. Like, you know, the fellowship taking taking a ring to Mordor. Just like literally add that to your campaign and have your adventuring group need to take a, a brooch into some lava mountain way off in the other side of the world and like just play it as Lord of the Rings and see if anybody notices because that's just fun. When someone's like, you know, I was going back through my campaign diaries and this kind of sounds a lot like Lord of the Rings. You're like, congratulations, you have an inspiration now because you fucking nailed it. It is Lord of the Rings. Get ready for this fight. <laughs> like, it's just fun. Yeah. That's another thing. Reward your players for getting into the world and becoming immersed and getting engaged. Reward them somehow. Absolutely. Because, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons is fucking awesome. Playing it in and of itself is a reward. But as the dungeon master, you have the ability to merit and even demerit players who aren't immersing themselves and aren't, aren't fully engaged in the world. So, yeah, definitely do that. Come up with ways to reward your players for, for interacting. One last thing I want to throw out there, and one thing we haven't talked about before, was getting back to the tangible stimulus. We've, we've thrown a lot out here, and being a DM is not an easy fucking thing. Like, there's a lot that goes into it. It's really challenging. It might even help you as a DM too, would be to introduce the idea of maps and miniatures. Mm. So having like an actual laid out like floor plan of the tavern or the cave or castle you're in, whatever, and then actually having miniatures that represent each player in that field of battle or exploration will not only help you as a DM keep everybody organized and enable you to tell the story more like flawlessly and more seamlessly it'll also kind of afford your players sort of like a, a token they can identify with it draws them into the world a little bit further because dungeons and dragons is the theater of the mind but that's not always easy for people to grasp so having that physical token for them to interact with and place them inside that world could go a long way towards helping somebody really really get invested yeah or if you do that normally maybe don't sometimes Maybe they enter a room that's magically dark so that a map is completely useless. Yeah. Nobody can see anything at all, no matter what they do. No light, no nothing. It is black, period. And just describe it verbally. Like, change change up your playstyle. If you don't do maps, try maps. If you do maps all the time, try not doing it sometimes. Yeah, 5e is traditionally a little bit more theater of the mind, and I think that's just the, the way we're headed uh, mm -hmm. collectively in terms of storytelling and in terms of D&D. But, you know, having that uh totem representation it's not warhammer right it doesn't have to be all right you're able to move 3.5 centimeters and i know that's not how warhammer technically works right but yeah. but, <laughs> but still it can be it, it's it's like dt said it's a totem which is great like you have a you have something that you're bringing to the campaign every time that's like this is me this is my representation of my character which is is also fun um and as a dm you can bust out things big bads uh you can break out your little demogorgon slam it onto the table and say what now Dude, hell what yeah. are you gonna do which is fun it's always great right switching out a chest for a mimic prop 
on a map is one of my favorite things Ooh. to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Grab like, your kid's Jurassic Park Tyrannosaurus Rex and throw that on the table and boom, there's a fucking dragon. Dude, hell yeah. DT had talked about this a little bit before about like conflict with within your party and like having player characters interact with one another and forcing them to kind of do that. My last bit that I wanted to say is that sometimes there's a quiet person at your table that doesn't want to be intrusive because we all kind of have different ways of playing. And sometimes uh, you create a character that just works with the party so that it works with the party. And sometimes you play in that way as well. It's like, I don't want to be the disruptive person. So if you have a big party, say you're DMing a group of six, there's always going to be one or two people there that just don't talk as much, that don't jump in and say anything. They, they take part in battles. They, they roll the initiative just like everyone else does. Um, but they're kind of, you know, behind the scenes. Sometimes they want to be like that and you have to kind of parse that out as, as a DM. But other times it's just because they don't want to be intrusive, but they really are desperately wanting to jump into the campaign. So give them an opportunity to do that because it's going to add more texture to your your story. Force them to do something like that. If you give them an opportunity to say everybody here at this table is going to make a decision or and or say something to that point, and then everyone will say something. And it's going to be that one person that's kind of quiet that says the most interesting thing a lot of the time. Yeah. And if 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 you you know, have, have talked to these people or whatever, and you know that they are just kind of on the back burner because everybody else is chiming in. Fucking pull them aside one day, get together one evening on a Tuesday and play a one-off with them as like a separate thing. And then the next time you guys play together, guess what? They have this like deal with a demon that they came to that suddenly starts cropping up. And the, the other players are like, wait, what did you just, did, did you say that the, you ate the soul? What? Are you sure? That's never happened before. And then now there's this like secret sort of pact that the guy snuck away in the middle of the night to partake in and none of the other players know about. It's like a really, really great way to add like a whole bunch of intrigue for like, it's it, it's like 130 proof whiskey, man. It is like a lot of bang for not a lot of buck. It's a good way to balance the party out too. Like, all right, they're going to do like a quick little one shot. And it doesn't have to take that long. It could be like a five minute session. You're just doing like a, hey, all right, this is what's going to happen. How do you, how yeah. would you proceed with this thing? You saved a paladin. Great. Now you have this badass shield. Yeah. You get woken up in the middle of the night for some, a demon is approaching you and needs help in the underworld. Do you agree? This may not, may not happen at all ever. It may not even come to fruition, but maybe, maybe it happens tomorrow. Yep. Yeah. Just uh, pick a Dresden files book and, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> And there you go. That's their one shot. <laughs> yeah, that's dope. Uh, and well, I mean, there's our DM, Goblum, telling us it's time to time to adapt and change gears and switch out to a new direction. Speaking of getting pulled aside in the middle of the night to contract with a demon. Everything all right on your side of the space castle, my dude? <laughs> Look, me and Goblum have had our our one shots. Let's just let me just say. Oh shit. You guys may need to end up fighting an assassin with me. <laughs> I've got all these ring tattoos that are appearing on my body. Like, I don't oh, really... oh boy. I'm assuming Goldblum is doing it in the night to fuck with me. We're going to have to recalibrate Goldblum soon. <laughs> I think he needs his OS updated. Yeah. He's been running on uh, Macintosh Sierra for a little too long, I think. So. <laughs> he's, he's still in <laughs> Windows 98. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got messages from Earth. So let's jump into those and then jump out of them and jump into our next topic for this episode. All right, I'll put my swimsuit on. 
Is that like a is it like a Goldblum one off thing? Is or is it? Yeah, I mean, you guys may find out someday when you're older. <laughs> oh, okay. What if I don't want to know? <laughs> <laughs> See, what Seth just did there was he changed the narrative with an improvisation line and made the whole storyline completely different. <laughs> yeah. Is this why you've been walking around with floaties on your arms? Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to mention it. It's part of my pact with this demon. I don't. I don't like to call attention to it. <laughs> they look great. <laughs> the, the neon yellow is. It really just. It's her color. It, it, yeah, yeah. It really makes your beard just pop. Good. Okay. Thanks. I mean, maybe it's not so bad then. Yeah, I say just never take them off. They're great. And I'm Jesse, and we're the host of See You Next Tuesday podcast, true crime podcast where we talk about the crimes against family members. Because let's be real, the ultimate See You Next Tuesdays in the world are the ones who commit crimes against family members. 100%. Right now, we are covering a tough one, moms. But don't worry, we don't discuss the terrible crimes and leave you depressed. Before we go, we tell you about our star mom of the week that we think is killing it in motherhood. Give us a listen on most podcast platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and more. Don't forget to like and subscribe. As always, we will see you next Tuesday. Hopefully those were some very informative and lucrative messages from Earth lucrative for us and informative for you here's some more informative information from alex who's been doing some deep space recon whoa informative information this is a channel uh on youtube surprise that uh i've been following for a long time but i'm a big big time fan especially for anybody who does podcasts or uh voiceover or is interested in those things booth junkie is the name of the channel uh-huh, yeah. Uh, Mike Delgadio is uh, a really awesome dude who does voiceover and uh, audio related content. And it's just phenomenal. Uh, my One of my favorites is setting up your first voice booth. Uh, it's, it's a video he made years ago. It's probably like half a decade old at this point, but it still holds up. And he talks about everything you need, you know, getting a preamp, getting a microphone, getting a pop filter, whether or not you need those things. If you don't have the capability of getting like a proper treated room. How do you build a voiceover studio in your closet? It's, I mean, it's literally where DT is right now. And it's, he, you know, he's already ahead of, he's already ahead of the game. You're, you're, you're probably 85% of the way there to what Mike would recommend. But yeah, I mean, he, he, he does reviews of, of all kinds of mics, of video switchers. He talks about editing as well and software. So he kind of does the full gamut. I really appreciate content creators who do the entirety of the process. It's one of the reasons I like Daniel Schiffer, why I like Peter McKinnon, because they walk you through how do you set it up, how do you film it, how do you capture it, and then edit it. Mike does the same thing with with audio. You can find different videos on his channel that go over different softwares uh, that you could use. How do you edit those things? What are the tips and tricks? One thing that I picked up from him for audio editing is incredible, which is using one of those uh, click trainers for for like training your pets where it just makes a little quick sound like a, so that they have that Pavlovian response. You can use that when you're editing audio or you're recording audio rather. Uh, whenever you screw up, you could just really quickly with your dog clicker. And now you know when you're editing, here's this spike in my 
waveform, I can quickly go there and say, okay, this is one point that I screwed up and I can eliminate everything before that. Awesome. So it's, he's got all these great tips and tricks from somebody who's been doing voiceover professionally for a while. And I, I, I'm just a huge fan. Yeah. Booth junkie. Plus his voice is absolute glorious molasses. Delicious. It's great. He sounds, I've been watching booth junkie as well for a long time. And like part of the time I just get like, I don't know, mesmerized. Like I just love listening to him, like talk about microphones or whatever. It's just so nice to hear. Yeah. He's got the, he's got the voice. It's, it's true. You would definitely expect from someone who's doing voiceover professionally and has a whole channel. Like you'd, you'd expect him to sound really good. <laughs> Do you get like the uh, ASMR response when you're like watching him on YouTube? Like- no, but I don't, I don't really get the ASMR response in general, but really you're missing out my dude. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, it's fine. Uh, I get it from my own voice when I edit these podcast episodes. Yeah. Uh. I'm sure that's a weirdly <laughs> masturbatory experience. Nothing weird about it. <laughs> Is that what you've been doing in your room this whole time? He's just listening to himself. <laughs> Turns out in DT's special room, he's just editing this podcast. <laughs> oh, that's why nobody's allowed in there, man. You can't have people like accidentally bumping your fucking knobs. And well, I, I never want to bump any of DT's knobs. <laughs> Let's just keep going with this narrative. This story is, yeah, this is preferable for me. Yeah. It's just an editing suite. That's all it is. Yeah. yeah. Totally just an editing bay. Exactly. Yeah. Not a big deal. Nothing at all. Also, DT, you may be the only human on earth that enjoys the sound of his own voice. <laughs> Mike Delgadio probably likes his voice. He, he he does some videos where he does, he, he records on a, on various microphones, right? But he does some that are just like, here, here's a phone. This is what I sound like. And it, he still has that like super rich, like, you know, some people make, uh, an attempt to kind of like affect their voice. So they sound more like the movie trailer guy. Uh, and he doesn't, he doesn't have that. He just, he, he, he starts every video with uh, what's up with junkies, Mike Delgadio here. And he's, and you're like, Oh my God, I'm listening to a voiceover right now. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Like this guy just sounds like he's got the cadence. He's got the intonation. Like he's just a very, he's it's a pleasure to listen to. I'm sure it's exactly the same way. If you're like, when he's ordering coffee at Starbucks or whatever. <laughs> it's it's funny because Pablo Francisco has a bit about this, right? With the movie trailer guy stuff, but he talks about Don LaFontaine. And I watched a documentary with Don LaFontaine where he talked about how when he was like 13, uh, he went through puberty. And then one day his voice was just like super deep. And then his teacher thought he was giving him a hard time. And so he sent him to the principal's office because he asked him <laughs> a question and he was like, I, I don't know. I think four plus four is eight. <laughs> When you're 13, you don't get those kind of questions. Uh, I don't know. You do in Arizona's public school system. Oh, yeah, fair, fair point. Oofa, doofa, <laughs> oh, that hurts. That hurts so bad. Uh, it's true. It's so true. That's how you spice up your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Throw your co-host for a loop and change the narrative immediately. Yeah. Also, more ass info, please. <laughs> yes, more ass info. That's what we call a throwback in the industry. <laughs> in the biz in the biz oh man anyway and then he got sent to the principal's office for it and then they were like oh that's just his voice he sounds like that uh that must have been mike's experience as well i don't know if he ever got sent to the principal's office but anyway uh booth junkie check it out yeah definitely do if you have any interest in microphones or audio at all booth junkies where it's at man zero interest couldn't care less yeah, podcasters don't give a shit about that, right? <laughs> I thought I was pretty well versed in YouTube, and you guys surprised me with these channels that I've never heard of and absolutely should have heard of. So this is awesome. 
You know, I, I had a thought the other day to change subjects. Uh, we've got Spotify wrapped. I would fucking kill for a YouTube wrapped. Not the showcase throwback bullshit episodes that they make every year. I want to see, like, what channels I have spent the most time on this year and, like, what videos. <laughs> oh, like, man. I want to see that kind of shit. I would love, absolutely love. Because, I like, looking right now, I'd pull up the tab because I have six YouTube tabs open already. Pull it up. And my sidebar says 695 subscriptions. So I have a lot to pull from. And I think Alex is probably very similar. We just like, mm-hmm. we go down YouTube rabbit holes and we're like, yo, this guy's making dope ass content and he's got 17 subscribers. Guess what? Now he's got 18. Let's go. <laughs> like, yeah. So we, yeah, dude, we, you just got to spend hundreds of extra hours on YouTube and, and you'll get there. I can tune out YouTube sometimes and I put, I'll put it up while I'm working it depending on whether or not I'm writing. Um, yeah. It depends on what I'm, what kind of work I'm doing. So I'll get on YouTube and do just go crazy with all the subs. But it's funny because when I switched uh, jobs, I had to retrain my YouTube algorithm because I switched emails that I was using and it was wild because for like two or three weeks, I was like, I hate the recommendations that are coming from YouTube right now. Just throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. But if you start watching the things that you enjoy or the channels that you remember and you sub to them, eventually you get to a point where, I, you know, I feel like I've got a nice, good, healthy algorithm right now. It's like it's like growing a garden. The almighty algorithm. Yeah. You can manipulate the algorithm yourself if you want. You don't have to give Google all the control. There's this really kind of fun YouTube channel called The Girl with the Dogs. And it's this really cute Canadian girl who's like a professional groomer, like out of her house. And it's like three minute long videos of like her, like grooming, like ridiculously, like, like, like yelping, screaming, like huskies and like really cute dogs and whatnot. It is fucked my YouTube algorithm so fucking badly. (laughs) (laughs) I get bird videos. I get cat videos. I get puppy videos. And all I'm trying to do is just watch the Foo Fighters pull that kid in the kiss makeup up on stage again to play the fucking guitar. That's all I want. (laughs) There is a Vlogbrothers video. So for those who don't know, Hank and John Green share a YouTube channel and they make Vlogbrothers. And they have been for over a decade now. Yeah. There's a Vlogbrothers video where Hank goes and puts John on blast because they they also watch YouTube on that that same account, right? So he Hank will go through the watch history and it will be like you know, some music video and something he watched for research and then like some of the his YouTube friends videos and then like 55 videos of like how to own and operate vending machines and he's like, "Hey John, <laughs> the fuck man <laughs> it's a really funny video he's like why do we have vet why do you want to buy a vending machine what is this about what is- why why is my library filled with k-pop suddenly it's hundreds of vending machine videos and i don't understand what is a bikini haul video <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny that's awesome all it takes is like one video to fuck up your algorithm man yeah yeah i get um I, I watched Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, like intro to how he made Tick, Tick, Boom, and now I just get musical theater. <laughs> well, that seems like a win, actually. Yeah, no, I'm not upset about it. It's just it's wild how quickly it can change. So it's super weird. Yeah. Uh, check out Booth Junkie. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot what we were originally talking about, man. <laughs> so like, <did> fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Our listeners are like, what the fuck are these guys on? Like, I want some. <laughs> guys, we, we've been talking about D&D, like, are you not riding that high right now? Because I am. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel pretty good. 
when I get to talk about D and D with my friends and then talk about YouTube with my friends and talk about that. Yep. Yep. I'm just, yep. I'm riding that wave, baby. That's like talking with my friends. You want the, the common denominator there? Bingo. You nailed it. <laughs> I, I went to school in Arizona. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Arizona is just raising morons and sending them out into the world. <laughs> it's like, it's like the black widow program, but like just completely fucking stupid. <laughs> I, I think we have a listener question, don't we always? Oh, we yeah. always, always have a listener question. Absolutely. Can we hear it? Who's got it? I've got it. Hit me. Okay. This question comes to us from Joshua. Okay. And the question is, pitch me a movie right now. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Josh, that's not a question, but I'm into it. Okay. Josh, Josh, don't play this shit. Josh has got demands for us. Josh is a man after my own heart. I presume a man. He's a person after my own heart. I'm assuming Josh is a DM. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're just stalling now. Are you building a, a script in the back of your head right now? I'm trying to give you guys opportunity. <laughs> I'm I'm saying dumb shit so you guys can make a movie pitch so then I can think of one while you talk. <laughs> <laughs> this is how this works. We're podcasting one on one. Let's go. Okay, you're gonna create a movie script. Uh, I thinking back to like Save the Cat, like late '90s, early 2000s, uh, sort of recycled sequel sort of things. But you don't want a sequel because those are lame. You want a script that just is more of a comp. I don't know what that means. I didn't go. I did not go to film school like the rest of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so like a comp, uh, you is essentially like you take you take one movie and another movie and you mash them together so say i'm querying oh, like my book yeah and you're, you're you're mushing them together and you make it something new and it, it feels new but it feels familiar which is what? still he's still it's, stalling <laughs> it's like what we talked about before it's am i stalling or is he st- all right here's my i think you're, um, you're all stalling all y'all are stalling oh right, do you have one ready you ready mine came to my mind immediately all right you genius i'll go next i'll i'll, I'll put myself on the spot i'll go next you go first Okay, so you've got this office worker, and he's sitting in a fucking gray cubicle, and he's bored out of his mind, and he's miserable, and he's got on his desk, it's a picture of like him and his wife on vacation, and they both just have these blank fucking expressions on their faces, and they're just, they're just dull as shit. And the camera pans up, and it's, it's fucking Ferris Bueller, and he's sitting in this <laughs> office cubicle, and he's bored, right? Oh, yeah? And he gets, oh. a, he gets a phone call all of a sudden, and it's, it's weird, because he's not expecting any phone calls, because, you know, he's just sitting in a cubicle. And uh, it's his friend Cameron on the other line. And Cameron sounds elated and happy. It's like, dude, I lost track of you after high school and I've been trying to track you down. Where are you? Let's go have lunch. And Ferris Bueller's like, oh, I can't really leave the office, blah, blah, blah. And Cameron's like, fuck you. Let's go get some fucking tacos. I'm in the city. And they go meet up and they have the most glorious fucking day where Cameron, after confronting his father and learning all his lessons from Ferris Bueller, has gone on to leave this amazing, fantastic life, like the life that Ferris Bueller should have led. And Ferris Bueller is now the Cameron who needs to be pulled out of his funk and rediscover his old magic and come to life again. And it's going to be wonderful. Wow. I was laughing in the beginning, but I'm into that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was actually pretty solid. I would definitely watch that. <laughs> that sounds pretty good, actually. <laughs> Especially if you can get the actors now because it's been fucking 30 years. I think it'd yeah. be great. Well, I mean, Alan Ruck is doing Succession right now. He's phenomenal. Uh, Matthew Broderick hasn't stopped working. And they both yeah. they both look great. They're both still yeah. fucking hilarious. Why have they not made a Ferris Bueller 2? 
I would actually love to see that now that I'm thinking more on it. Yeah, I know, because I'm fucking good at this shit. <laughs> Improv, what up? Improv. Okay, well, all right, so you just take the character you most identify with and make them the protagonist, got it. <laughs> Basically, yeah, you, fl- you, flip the, you flip the script, like what uh, Seth was saying before. You know, flip the script on your audience, yeah. Here's my script. It's uh, totally different. I'm, I'm going to be thinking about Ferris Bueller for a long time now. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. That's that's good. What what's the song they're gonna sing on the parade? <laughs> no, it's gonna be karaoke bar, right? So it's gotta yeah, be a little yeah, bit different, yeah. but sort of the same. So Cameron drags Ferris into a karaoke bar and they have to sing a song. What's it gonna be? Well the first one was what? It was the Beatles, right? It's you gotta stick with the Beatles. Let's go let's go full fucking board. Let's go like Helter Skelter or some wild shit like that. Oh, that would be fun. Alan Ruck singing Helter Skelter on top of a bar or something. Like that's your trailer right there. Let's go. Yeah, no, that and he's be awesome. still wearing that horrible, ugly fucking Red Wings jersey. <laughs> <sighs> he's got poor choice in teams, but yeah. Oh, I'm gonna alienate some of our listeners. All right, here's mine. I'm not stalling anymore. It's Die Hard on a boat. So you've got a cruise liner, <laughs> and um, you got a cruise liner. Everybody's enjoying their time, right? And then wham! All of a sudden, terrorist attack because they're transporting something, and you didn't realize it. Uh, and, uh, the, there are five plucky people that combine to make John McClane Voltron style. Um, so you separate them out and you've got these uh, interesting characters. You've got maybe like a bartender, you've got like a Hawaiian shirt wearing doctor. That's just there to participate in the cruise. that didn't really want to be there in the first place. Um, you've got like the, uh, the captain of the ship and then like a janitor, and I think I'm missing one. Uh, I, uh, uh, and the skipper too. The <laughs> and his wife, the movie star. <laughs> and all the rest. <laughs> and all the rest. rest. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought this was going to be speed two cruise control at first, but now it's I'm interested. So it's not speed two cruise control. Yeah. No, no. Okay. So it's, 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 but it's still die hard on a cruise. So it kind of is. That's that's my that's my first first stab. I don't know. Off the top of my head, that's what I got. It's like you've got you've got a you've got a cruise boat, it gets attacked by some terrorist like folks, and then uh you've got five ish plucky characters that have to band together, even though they don't want to be there doing this, to uh eradicate the bad guys uh, and keep the treasure safe. If Seth Rogan plays the guy in the Hawaiian shirt, I'm sold. I'll go see it. Yeah, I'm in. Jo- it's Jonah Hill, Danny McBride. <laughs> dude, I'm down for anything Jonah Hill's in, man. I love that dude. Dude, he is blown up in such an amazing creative way in the last like five, six years. So well deserved, man. Yeah. For sure. All right. All right. That's mine. Seth, what you got? Okay. Okay. Um, now, despite what you might think, I am I'm not going sci-fi, which is maybe a unusual expectations breaker. Um, okay, so my movie is is called Hades, and it is about Hades, um, and he is fucking tired and fed up with running the underworld, and he's so just over the the logistics of managing so many souls, and it's such a huge pain in the ass. He's fucking, he's done it for millennia, and he's over, he's tired of it. It's getting overcrowded. He's fucking can't handle the logistics anymore. So he goes to Earth and uses his typical Hades trickery and bullshit. And all of that stuff to convince and trick humanity into being better so that fewer people go to hell. So he has to deal with less and less as time goes on. So he's just, it's just a, a, 
a movie about him being fed up with his own logistical life and and fixing it, but in like a positive way. A mythological Ted Lasso. Like Hades comes to Earth. Yeah, kind of. He's yeah, kinda. just like the best dude ever. He's trying to fix everybody's yeah. bad day. He just tricks everybody into being great so that he doesn't have to deal with it. Yeah, your elevator pitch is, is Satan goes, well, Hades goes to Earth and he, and he makes people happier and he promotes good in the world because he's tired of fucking dealing with people in hell. I love it, That's man. fantastic. It does bad Hades shit, but at, like as a result, people are living better lives and he's selfishly doing it so yes he's absolutely. still he's still 80s he's selfishly trying to make his life easier but is it, it he what what does he have only have the ability to do bad shit that ends in a better for all kind of like for the greater good i'm gonna make this bad thing happen so better things can happen yeah basically yeah so that i i don't have such a difficult time downstairs <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you know who would have been perfect for this movie? Would have been Alan Rickman. Uh, Dude, yes. you're right. Alan Rickman gives the mining executive a heart attack, and therefore all of the workers are free to go and live about their lives. They all get promotions <laughs> and more money as a result, and they live yeah. happy lives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. No, I love that concept. That's fantastic. Yeah. We made three good movies, guys. What the fuck? <laughs> TM, TM, if you steal any of our ideas, we're going to be upset. <laughs> Uh, Matthew Broderick, hit me up on Twitter. Let's make Ferris Bueller 2. Let's go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I bet you Ferris Bueller 2 would be even better as like an indie film too, not like as a big studio film. That'd be fucking great. If a Hollywood executive wants to contact us, Seth, because I don't want to be sitting in a theater and being like, hey, hey, you guys remember? I had a podcast about this. (laughs) (laughs) We now have proof because this is going out onto the internet and the internet is forever. If you're a big studio executive, you can... Uh, email us at spacecastlepodcast at gmail.com. You can also hop into them DMs at spacecastlepod on Twitter or Instagram. I would be open to like actually making these short films if anybody is a little interested. I can make all the props for sure. That I'm down for that, but I, like, I can make movies too. I believe it. Your concept is the easiest to put to film. Yeah, because it's just a dude who's trying to make people better. Like, it, there's very little like set work that needs to oh, yeah. happen. <laughs> that budget is real low, but high quality. Mine is the opposite. I need Michael Bay. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I you could not pay me enough to get onto a cruise ship right now. No, yeah, right <laughs> even now? to film a movie. Zero yeah. percent. <laughs> Sorry, friend. Your your movie is dead in the water. That's the fucking title. Oh Oh my god! Fantastic. Ah, yeah. Yeah, we're professionals. It's fine. We're we're so fucking professional. I'm so impressed right now. (laughs) (laughs) I am gonna go into my secret room and get so much scalp tingly shit from this episode. Oh my god. (laughs) And I'm ready. Let's let's wrap this shit up so I can go do that. We're gonna start a Patreon. Surprise it, it came out, opened up for enrollment this week. This is not a gatekeepy thing. This is just extra content that we're putting up on Patreon. Behind the scenes stuff, you get special roles in Discord, live streams, early access to two upcoming shows, Real Drunk and Rec Deck, which are two shows we're going to be talking more about later. Discounts for Alex's OnlyFans. <laughs> yep. You get a sticker, which is dope. This podcast is still going to remain the same, but if you want to see like our pre-show recording bullshit when we're trying to figure out what to talk about and making jokes and all that kind of stuff, uh, Patreon's how you do that. Also, 
fucking leave us a review on on Apple or Good Pods, wherever you happen to be listening to this episode. I'd also, because DT's not going to thank himself, I want to thank DT and Brian for our dope-ass theme song, D's Notes. Oh, I'm going to thank myself later. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. Oh, I actually, that puts, that puts D's Notes in an entirely new context that I don't like. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's going to do it for this episode of Space Castle. It's your clubhouse and hours for all things nerdy. My name's DT. My name's Alex. (laughs) I'm Seth. (laughs) Bye. Love you. Be safe.